morning, church. It's so good to, to be able to be seen by you, even though I can't quite be with you yet in the flesh. Uh, man, today is going to be a great day. I'm prayerful that God will use His Word, His message to enlighten and instruct the hearts of His people. It's a great day to be able to worship. Again, it's different than we would love for it to look in the flesh with one another, but uh, we're grateful that God can use this medium for His glory, as He already has in many ways. We're trusting that he will continue to do much of the same. Um, things are going to look different in the weeks to come, and we're hoping that as there seems to be some maybe some progress against the coronavirus, that hopefully in the weeks to come we can get back to things as, as somewhat normal. It, it's going to look different when we get back uh, to be able to meet in the building, but we're hopeful that happens in the weeks to come, not in the months to come. And so we'll try to, I'll have to keep you posted on what that looks like and we'll keep our ear to the ground on some progress and hopefully have some more information to give you maybe even next week or, or during the week uh, as, as news becomes more available. I have just a few announcements that I want to let you know about before we get started with the sermon here in just a few minutes. Uh, first of all, don't forget that Wednesday nights at 6 o'clock for um, the adults and then 6.30 for the youth, we're having our midweek Bible study devotion on Facebook Live for adults. Uh, you can tune into that at 6 o'clock where I just give a short little devotional. And then Brother James for our students is doing a Zoom call at 6.30 on Wednesdays. Uh, and that's been good and, and God has been using that. Just wanted to remind you that that's going on. Also, if you have prayer needs, uh, please, and I've said this a couple times already, but you know, be willing and feel free to to send me a message, an email or text or a, a message on Facebook or whatever that looks like. We want to ensure that you are prayed for and that your needs are met. Uh, please voice those and make those uh, needs known to me so that we can uh, shepherd and pastor you the best way that, that I know how and that, that we as a church can. Okay. Uh, also, those of you that have been continuing to be faithful in giving, man, thank you. Uh, it is such a, a gracious thing that God is continuing to facilitate growth by giving and that uh, He's using what we are able to do to do great things for the kingdom of God. And so thank you for your faithfulness. If you are not sure what the address is to our church and you want to be part of that giving effort, the address you'll see at the bottom of your screen is 503 Spring Hill Road, uh, Millport, Alabama 35576. And that should be down there if you need to write that down. We'll also uh, put some more information about giving in the description because now we have online giving. And so uh, the link is below as well and it'll be in the description too. And so if you have questions about that, we will get that information to you and make that as easy as possible. I know that some of you guys would say that you're not technologically literate. And so we want to help in any way that we can uh, to make that process just easy and accessible for you. And then finally, don't forget that at the end of our time today, we will have discussion questions uh, on a slide at the very end of our message. Those are meant, just like the sermon is meant, to be listened to as a group or as a family or whoever's living under your roof. And that, uh, that by the discussion of the word that you just would have listened to, that God would use that to, to marinate in your heart and to grow uh, you and your discipleship and those uh, in your family, okay? And so we want to make that as accessible and doable as possible, and I know that God has been using that as well. And so uh, anyway, without further ado, we will dive into our message. But before we do that, I want to let you know that and remind you that nothing that we do today will be profitable if God's hand is not in it. And the good news is that he steadfastly loves his people and lavishes us in his grace. So let's go to him in prayer and thank him for an opportunity to absorb his word and pray that he would write it on our hearts. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for simply who you are. You are a gracious and marvelous God, and you have poured that out on us in the grace that we see at the cross of Christ. Today, you have saved us, and yet today we're asking you to sanctify us 
to grow us to be greater image bearers of Christ Jesus with the way that we live and behave and act in our personal lives. Lord, we thank you for your evidence of mercy and blessings in our life. And I pray that now as we open the book of Colossians, that you would write your word on our hearts, that we would be uh, recipients of your word and not just hearers, but doers as well. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and open to the book of Colossians. We're going to look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14 here in just a moment, but I'll give you just a few minutes to kind of get there. I heard a story one time of an old married couple that were in a heated argument. Tempers were starting to flare, and uh, you know how married couples do, right? Uh, she says to him, you just never tell me that you love me. And then his response was, I told you I loved you the day that I married you, and I'll let you know when I change my mind. Now, <laughs> We all know that that is absolutely terrible marital advice, and I'm pretty sure that's a made-up story anyway, but it always is good for a laugh, I guess. But the reason I say that is that while we cringe at that, it's a good thing that we cringe at that because it's terrible. It's a terrible strategy for a long and healthy marriage. Why? Well, because we know that that's a fallacy, right? Loving someone or just telling someone you love them on the day that you got married is not good enough to be sustaining a relationship. And the reason I say that is that there is reason to continue to tell your spouse or your children or your parents that you love them more than just that one time, right? Why is that? Well, the reason is very simple. It's because saying that over and over throughout time, it firms the ground upon which the relationship stands. Now, the reason I say that is because what reminders like a loving reminder do is a reminders firm a foundation that a relationship is built upon. The passage that we're going to look at in just a moment in Colossians is a passage that is a prayerful reminder for a church that is being lured by questionable teaching. We talked about that some last week, some of the false teachings of the day in Colossae. And so what we're going to look at this morning is a prayerful reminder for a church that's being lured away by some false teaching. What Paul is going to say, just a reminder to them, is that you were saved by Christ and nothing else, nothing in addition. And so he's going to tell them, look, there's nothing that you can do to add or to take away from your salvation or the love that God has for you and his instruction for them then is to continue in that mind state, in that mentality. The gospel reminds, it deepens the roots of discipleship because the gospel is the ground upon which we stand as followers of Jesus. And what we looked at last week, it's the hope that we have in our eternity. So, let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. We'll kind of walk through the passage here in just a moment, uh, but let's first read it together. Colossians 1, 9 through 14 says this, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. Verse 11. May you be strengthened 
with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We looked at the opening of this letter, Colossians, verses 1 through 8, last week. And in that opening, we saw that it was sort of a word of thanksgiving for what has already transpired. That Paul has heard things about them, and so he, he is thankful and expressing some thanksgiving to this church, these believers. That the gospel has come to them, that he's even seen in their lives fruit of faith and fruit of love that is manifested within them. He then grounds that in the hope that they have which is the gospel. We talked about that word rooted, right? And that's the sort of the theme of this letter is that they have rooted themselves deeply in the gospel and that it's given them faith and love. And there are false teachings in their midst also. And so while we kind of evaluate the, the contents of this letter, we have to remember that in the back of our minds at all times. So there are false teachings in their midst that were probably swaying them away from what had been taught to them by Paul and by Epaphras. Now, this week, we're going to look at a different passage, the next one subsequently, and it's one long, complete, and complex Greek sentence. Now, it's broken up in parts in English, but in its original setting, this was one long Greek sentence. And the reason I say that is because it's all one idea that is sort of strung together. And I was sort of tempted to break this passage up because there's so much here, but I think there's good reason to preach this as one whole substance because it's one long sentence. And in this, Paul tells this church how, not only is he thankful for them, but how he prays for them of what will happen. And so if we want to summarize, we'd say in verses 3 through 8 that we looked at last week, he says, I'm thankful that you this, but then right after that in verses 9 through 11, and then also through verse 14, now I'm praying that you this. Okay, so we're going to see two sort of reminders that he's giving them, or two main themes of the prayer that he's giving them and reminders of their faith. And so if you're taking notes today, the first one is this. Firming the ground, the gospel ground, the first one is saved by grace to live by grace. We titled it that, Firming the Gospel Ground. He's reminding them of ways to be solidified in their faith. The first way he reminds them to do that is that they are saved by grace to live by grace. You know, when we think about the outpouring of God's grace, I think probably the first thing that comes to mind for, for me and maybe for you too is uh, probably Calvary, right? Which is a good thing. That is the greatest manifestation and the greatest outpouring of the grace of God. However, I want you to understand, and you do understand this, I believe, that God's grace wasn't limited to that event 2,000 years ago, right? God's grace goes beyond that. God's gracious involvement in your life as a follower of Jesus spans far beyond your conversion, your salvation. Are you saved by amazing grace? You better believe that you are. But you are also sanctified by amazing grace. We see this sort of begin to unfold in verse 9. He says, And so, from the day we heard, myself and, and Timothy saying, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Now, I mentioned this last week, but it's very likely, it seems, that Paul has never met these people, the 
the Colossian believers. And yet, here again, he speaks to them with a very endearing tone and some pastoral care, it seems like. But I want to focus on the substance of the prayer that he gives them. We see it beginning in verse 9, okay? He has a verb, and then he has the object of that verb. The verb that he mentions is that we are praying that you be filled, okay? He says, be filled, and the object of that is with the knowledge of his will, of God's will, okay? So praying that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. Now, last week we spoke at length about that false teaching that Paul is likely responding to and some of the characteristics of that. We won't go and look at the passage, but in chapter 2, verses 16 through 23, it kind of implies, it doesn't just imply, it, it tells us that maybe knowledge and wisdom or the spiritual realm was something that was being offered by false teachers. And so these false teachers were saying, if you do these things or if you pray to these angels or if you do these rites or do these rituals, then you will have access to the spiritual realm and you can unlock this key hidden knowledge. Well, Paul is simply combating that. He's saying the hidden knowledge is, is a fallacy. Knowledge is found in the one that fills you with knowledge, and that's God. So Paul's response is very simply, be filled by knowledge of God's will. Now when I say God's will, an easy word to replace will is desire. That's what he's praying for. That you would be filled, Colossians, that you would be filled by the knowledge of God's will. Not, not these false teachers' will, God's will. Now God's will is not a necessarily, when we think about that, we think, what's God's will for my life? What's God's will for my marriage? What's God's will for my occupation? Now, the reason I'm going to say that it's not quite that is because Paul isn't speaking of a specific direction for one's life, but rather a general abiding understanding of how to continuously honor Jesus in your life. So it's more general. He then says that you would be filled. Okay, now get underneath the semantics here. He's saying that you would be filled. Now, that's passive language. Notice he's not saying that you would fill yourself with knowledge. No, he says that you would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And the reason that I point that out is that this action is something that's being done to these believers. It's grace beyond conversion. It's God's grace to fill these people. What Paul's saying is, may God fill you with an ongoing knowledge of how to obey and honor Christ. Now listen, that knowledge, though, is not the end game. He then follows that up. He says, be filled with the knowledge of his will. But look at this last part of verse 9. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. What that means is that he's saying, not just that you would know the will of the Lord, his desire for your life, or his desire to honor Christ. Not just that, but that you would understand how to make that happen. And then he says, wisdom, which is knowledge or that understanding in action. He's saying, may you be filled with what it means to honor Jesus with your life. But not just know, but to then go and put that knowledge into action, which is then the very natural progression into verse 10. He then says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Okay, there's the action, the behavior. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now listen, there's a lot going on here, but let's just backtrack just a little bit. He uses this idiom or this metaphor of walking, okay? And this isn't foreign to our ears because we sort of borrow this too. But he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Now we know 
that that's not a literal walking. He's not saying that, the, that your gait needs to be one that honors the Lord. No, he's saying, figuratively speaking, the way that you walk should be a way that is honoring, worthy of the Lord. The reason I point that out is because this is sort of a Jewish metaphor or an idiom. A person's life is often depicted as a road that one travels along, and so this is exactly what's happening here. But like I said, we've borrowed this idiom as well. We use the phrase, you know, that's, that's someone's walk of life. They come from a different walk of life. Obviously, we're talking about the way that they have lived up until that point. Or we say it a different way, that they've chosen this career path. Again, it's that same metaphor, that same idiom. And so the meaning of verse 10 is very simple. That mental and attitudinal alignment, or knowledge and wisdom, is meant to produce behavioral transformation walking. That this mental or attitudinal alignment with God's will is meant to produce behavioral transformation. In other words, to kind of drive this home for us and apply it with us just for a second here. If all that you get out of Sunday school or out of your Bible study, your quiet time, or out of the preaching of God's word, if all you get out of that is information, then you've done all three of those things in vain. Does that make sense? So it doesn't make sense to simply fill your head if that doesn't then translate into a behavioral shift, a transformation of behavior. And so even to use the idiom of walking, the difference between pleasing or worshiping God with your life versus religious lip service is whether God's word just fills your head or if it also fills your heart. To use a pertinent example and even in the life of Jesus, Jesus met a lot of very religious people. He met a lot of very smart people. Take Nicodemus, or any of the Pharisees for that matter. Jesus wasn't interested in how much the Pharisees knew about God. What did he ask Peter in John 21? He asked him a very simple question. He said, Peter, do you love me? If that knowledge doesn't become part of someone's heart, it's just vain. It's purposeless. Many of you were raised in the church or have learned well how to go through the motions of church, but there's a difference between that and walking in a manner pleasing to Him that goes beyond the four church walls. Walking begins in a heart that seeks to please God. Now here's the thing. I've applied many messages and, and been in this position where I'm trying to help you to apply messages, but just saying that, that walking begins in a heart that seeks to please God. I think that that's helpful, but it's also very general. It's very broad. How do we actually do that? What does that look like? Well, the next verses are a very pertinent application of that point. And this is kind of even point 1B, but we'll just keep going and, and let this be underneath uh, the, the first point, which is saved by grace to live by grace. What does that living actually look like? Look at the, the last part of verse 10, and then we'll continue it into verse 11, and even the first part of verse 12. It says, uh, increasing in the knowledge of God, verse 11, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks. Tell you what, let's back up a little bit where he says, verse 10, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, beginning there where it says, bearing fruit in every good work. There's one. Increasing in the knowledge of God. There's two. He says, may you be strengthened there's three, with all power. And then in verse 12, he even says, giving thanks. Now, what then 
What's the how-to? What is the grading rubric to identify evidences of being filled with the knowledge of God's will and an active understanding of how to then live it out and then do it? How do you do that? Well, I see four evidences right here, and I just identified them in this passage. I want to take them one by one, and you'll find them on your screen if you want to write these down. But they're right here in the passage, and I want to identify each and then apply each, okay? The four evidences of walking with Jesus is very simple. Number one is bearing fruit. Bearing fruit, we see it in the second half of verse 10. He says, if you're living or walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, one way to do that is by bearing fruit. Now, this should probably bring to your mind the fruit of the Spirit. Well, that's exactly right. Same author, okay? It's in Galatians chapter 5. What are the fruit of the Spirit? What does it mean to bear fruit? To be a person that is walking in a manner of love, of joy, of peace, of patience, of kindness, of goodness, of faithfulness, of gentleness, of self-control. You know, COVID-19 is making some of us um, act out. That's the way that I say it to my children. It's making some of us act out. It's making us test our patience or perhaps use harsher words than we typically would. Cabin fever is settling in, right? Maybe you're lacking grace toward the people that you love the most even. Or maybe there's some fear that's settling in or even some anger toward work or toward finances, and maybe you even lack self-control over certain patterns of sin that you struggle against, perhaps words or even behaviors. I had a friend of mine post this on Twitter, and I think that it is so profoundly wonderful for us to consider right now, and this stings a little bit. It's this. This quarantine isn't making you anything. It's showing you what you already are. Think about that. The quarantine isn't in your, your children, your spouse, your circumstances. Those things aren't making you anything. It's showing you what you already are. Now, what does that mean? From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. My children don't pull that out of me. <laughs> your circumstances don't pull that out of you. It's already there. From the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. I would add to that that in the overflow of the heart comes your attitude, comes your actions. You don't need false teaching from the world to uproot your faith. You are plenty good enough at that on your own. And so I think one way that we can evaluate this, right, am I walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, is what does it look like in my life? Am I bearing fruit that displays evidence that I'm walking with Jesus? The second one is this increasing in knowledge. We see this again right here in this passage in, in verse 10, the very end of verse 10, increasing in knowledge. It's very simply what that means is the more you walk with the Lord, the more His will and His desire will become your will and your desire. And that's such a good thing to pray for. God, make my heart break for what breaks yours. Make me glad for what makes you glad. Make me hate what you hate. Make me despise the sin that you despise. Align my heart with you. And the more that we grow in the knowledge of God, the more that you grow in the knowledge of God, the more your thoughts and your desires and your will will align with the will of your walking companion. Increasing in knowledge. The third one is being strengthened. Now look in verse 11. He says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. This is really good stuff, okay? May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for endurance and patience with joy, okay? 
There's something about this passage that I want to point out real quickly. He says, may you be strengthened with all power. That word all there in the literal language, it simply means to the greatest possible degree. Okay, the highest possible degree. And so he's already said that you may be filled by God. But now he's saying, may you be strengthened by God. Not just by God, but by God's glorious might. Listen, walking with Jesus is a tall order. Based on what that one that I just said, like bearing fruit, we come up short of that. I come up short of that, bearing fruit each and every day in all that I say and do. That's a tall order. But the good news is that you don't walk under your own strength. Again, grace beyond salvation. That's daily grace. That's daily means of grace. All power, the highest degree of power. How do we possess that? Because for those of us that are in Christ, we possess the glorious might of God in that the Holy Spirit possesses our hearts. It is a tall order, but we have the greatest possible source of strength aiding us in this spiritual warfare. The fourth one is giving thanks. We see that at the very beginning of verse 12. Giving thanks, he says. Well, giving thanks for what? I think that you could break it down into two things. Giving thanks for filling us. I just talked about a moment ago that that filling, is it, we're, not, we're not filling ourselves with the knowledge of God. God is filling us with the knowledge of God. His will. How to align ourselves with Him. Thanking Him for that. But also the big one. Being grateful to God who has saved us. Which is really a natural progression then into my second main reminder that I think Paul has. Firming the gospel ground. Number two from alienated exile to redeemed resident. From alienated exile to redeemed resident. That word alienated is, is a very unique word. Uh, it's where alien comes from. It means foreign. It means distant. It means doesn't belong. It means a stranger. That's what it means to be alienated from God is that you are distant from him. And that is exactly what humanity's status is before a holy God. God is holy. It means that he's without sin. He is, by definition, separate from us. He is holy in his character. And you and I are not that. And so when we come into this world, we come into this world as alienated creatures from the throne of God. That's not good news. But the gospel is good news. And so the story changes at some point, and we'll see this outlined in what Paul says next. The second part of Paul's prayerful reminder is that their status didn't stay as alienated from a holy God. Look at verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father. Why? It says, who has qualified you? Your translation may say us. I believe it has the same meaning, right? Qualified you, the church, us, the church, to share in, his, in, in the inheritance of the saints in light. False teachers were likely insisting on a program of rules or you know, rituals for true spiritual fulfillment. And so Paul jumps right in and he combats that mentality by saying, hey, be a person that gives thanks because God has qualified you. He has made you worthy. He's qualified you. He's given you an inheritance and he's declared you as a saint. What all, put all those things together. Giving thanks, qualified you, inheritance, saint, you combine all of that. Understand, folks, that salvation was a gift, not something earned. It's not something earned. It was you giving thanks. You don't give thanks for something that you earned. 
Salvation is a gift. And so I want to reread verse 12 and then add to it verse 13. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Notice next the contrast with darkness. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Delivered means rescued, redeemed, transferred citizenship, darkness to light, inheritance. Now on the church of Colossae, I mentioned this last week that it's, it's a it's a very popular uh, city with, with people from a lot of different regions. A major highway went between east and west, connected to even Ephesus to its west, about 100 miles. And so in Colossae, it was sort of a, a mixing area with a lot of different types of people, which means different backgrounds, different religions, and different cultures. And even part of that culture was that there were Jewish people there. There were Jewish Christians that lived in this church and that were part of this body of believers. And so as there were Jewish people there, you have to understand that when Jewish people hear ideas of rescue, ideas of redemption, of being redeemed, and ideas of inheritance, if you're a Jewish person, you have to be thinking there of the heritage of your people. You think about Egypt, and you think about the time of exile in Babylon or Persia. That has to be where your mind goes. And the reason I say that is because both of those times were times that God's people were enslaved. And they needed rescue. They were in bondage and needed rescue. And God intervened. He delivered them. Not only did he deliver them, but he purchased them back for himself. He redeemed them. And then he gave them an inheritance. From Egypt, it was the promised land. And from the exile, it was the return to the land that God gave them. And so as a Jewish person reads this, that has to be where their mind goes, that God is a saving God. However, there's also something beautiful here for the Gentile reader. Perhaps even more precious. Look at verse 14. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The language used here would have certainly for Gentile readers brought to mind the first century transaction by which a slave paid the price to secure his own release from slavery. This is a, this is a, a work for hire working under the bondage, a bond servant, they make a certain wage and then they can pay for their freedom and they're, they're free to go. Right? And so as a, as a reader, a Gentile reader reads this word, redemption, the forgiveness of sins, that has to be where your mind naturally gravitates. And isn't this a wonderful illustration of what Christ has done for the prisoner? Christ came to purchase sinners from slavery to sin. The same way that they would think of a bond servant being enslaved, our dungeon master is far more severe. And it's a price that we cannot possibly pay. We're slaves to sin. And we come into this world as slaves to sin and alienated from God. And yet Christ came to redeem, it means to purchase sinners from slavery to sin by giving his own life as their ransom. It is the good news of the gospel from alienated exile, distant foreigner, to redeemed resident. The language here is so special in verses 13 and 14. It talks about being a, a prisoner of the domain of darkness and being transferred to the kingdom of light. Because that is exactly what our story is. If you're in Christ Jesus, that is your story. Is that you were once alienated and far off from God, 
But thanks be to Christ, he has brought you near by the blood of Jesus. Everything that Paul says, so far in this letter at least, is in some form or fashion a response to the false teachers that maybe in this instance they were questioning the adequacy of Christ to take care finally of their sin problem. But Paul is writing reminders to solidify the gospel ground that Colossae stands on. And so I ask you the question, how does this reminder, this gospel truth reminder, firm up the gospel ground that you stand on? I said it this way when I began, and I'll say it again now. I need you to hear this. There is nothing that you can do to add to or take away from your salvation or simply the fact that God loves you. There is nothing that you can do to add to or subtract from that. If you could lose your salvation, I promise you, you would have already done it. But you can't. Because it was never based on your work anyway. If you could add to it, I promise you could never achieve it. Because we bring nothing to the table unless the grace of God intervenes. And the good news is that he has, and that he does. You are saved by grace, upon grace, upon grace. And so to echo Paul here, let us give thanks for the good news of the precious gospel of Christ. Perhaps you're listening to this message, and you've gotten this far, and I've said some things that perhaps were foreign to you, and that, that maybe when I talked about being alienated from God, that right now in this phase of life, you feel distant from God that God does feel distant, that you do feel alienated. And perhaps the reason for that is that you've never come to a point in your life where you have admitted before a holy God that you have transgressed and sinned against his character. That you've never really personally taken that leap of faith and trusted in the work of Jesus to save you because you can't save yourself. I'm here to tell you today that in Christ you have the opportunity to be redeemed in glorious light. Now, the love of the cross has been reverberating <laughs> for 2,000 years. It's been echoing and echoing for 2,000 years, and it's not going anywhere, but because we tend to forget, which is why Paul is saying these things, because we tend to forget, let me serve as God's reminder to you today. God loves you. And not only does he love you, but he wants you to walk with him. I know that there's no possible way that I could know the life, the walk of life, the path that everyone looking into your screen has taken to this point. I don't know what quarantine has been like. I don't know what your job situation is. I don't know the hurt that you're going through right now. But I'm here to echo the words of Paul and say this to you that God is using these circumstances in your life to remind you to stand firm on the gospel ground. There are so many evidences of your life that point back to salvation. But I want you to see evidences of the daily graces of God. He is filling you, for one thing, with the knowledge of His will, but I want you to take the knowledge of His will, not just to know how to honor Him with your life, but to then go and bear fruit, increase in knowledge, to strive after him, giving thanks under 
his strengthening glorious might. And then finally, to recall and bring back to memory that you have gone from alienated exile to redeemed resident. Folks, that is wonderful news and great cause to celebrate, perhaps in a time that it's hard to find evidence for celebration. Let's pray and thank God for what he's done for us in Christ. Father, Lord, we thank you that we have gone from alienated exiles to redeemed residences because of the blood of Jesus. Lord, we come up short of the standard of holiness, and that's exactly the point. I pray that we would run to the refuge of the cross, and that daily we would place our faith and trust, not in our work, and not resting in our work and our effort, because it's not good enough, but that we would rest in the effort of the God-man Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Just a reminder that there are discussion questions uh, here at the end of the message, and I hope that you will utilize those and that God would use that to, to do a great work in the life of your family. Uh, in the weeks to come, hopefully we'll have good news and that we can again begin to sort of transition back into sort of some kind of business as usual. We'll keep you updated on what that looks like. I hope that you guys have a wonderful week, and I hope to see you very soon. May God shed his grace on you every day. We'll see you next time. Thank you.